Welcome back. We're back. So let's talk about God. Yes, we love to talk about God. We would love to talk about God. You we, knocked it out early, two we, seconds in. We would love, you've already punned us. You did it. And we haven't even bantered. You we, did it. We always banter. Well, we can still talk. I'm just saying you did it. But I didn't mean to do it. But that's what happens with us. We just pun and we don't even mean to. Josh texted me the other day and he said, I like how y'all like to do the whole, what are we talking about today? He's like, everybody can see the title. We already know what the episode's on when we click on it. I said, we're just having fun. And he said, I'm just messing with you. Uh, he just he just ruined everything. Josh Trammell. No, this is Lawless. Oh, Josh Lawless, a staff member on your youth staff. And, and, yes. But he should feel good. He's getting a shout out by name. He should. On hey, this episode. hey, Josh. Josh, we love you. We love you, Josh, even if you are giving us grief and critiquing us over very trivial matters, minuscule items, but that's okay. We're Full, still going to banner and we're still going to punt. Fully unrelated to anything. Last night, me and Elizabeth were sitting in the house and we like we heard something on our sliding glass doors and then we realized Theo was like hitting something. And at first we thought his tail is just hitting it and he's just wagging his tail. Then, like, he kept hitting it. So we pulled up our security cameras, and he's staring up. And every now and then, he'd jump up at our, like, back sliding glass doors. And we're pretty sure all he wanted us to do was, like, basically tell us, I'm about to kill this lizard. Because I walked outside, and I saw him on the camera. He'd ran down in the yard, and he's, like, poking at something. And when I walked outside, he had, like, bitten this lizard and, like, slapped at it with his paw and basically killed it and was just, like, playing with it. And I think he was just like, hey, guys, I've taken care of it. Don't worry. What a dog. What a dog. I mean, he's a stone-cold killer. He's killed a possum before. Did he really? Yeah. And I left it there all night to rot because I thought he was playing possum. So everybody was like, don't try and pick him up yet. Like, he might still be alive. Like, give you rabies or something. <laughs> you thought the possum was playing possum. That's what they do. They fake death. The possum was playing dead. dead. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But he actually got him. That was really funny. So what are, you live in this city. What is this with? Oh, there's a deer ran, ran through my front yard while I was sitting on my front porch reading yesterday. A deer did. Yeah, I've got that one on my security camera, too. It picked up like two seconds of it, but I just hear this shoom, 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 and I was, it was like loud almost, oh, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm looking down at my book, and I look up, shoom, and he's just, sp- or I guess it's she, sprinting through my front yard, and then goes around, and, and then I heard my dogs bark. And folks, when I say he lives in the city, he does. I mean, there are houses. He lives in a labyrinth. We call it a labyrinth. Really, it's like a maze. Maze in a subdivision because it's just streets go everywhere. And I mean, you're surrounded. Like two minutes from downtown. Yeah, you're two minutes from downtown Anderson. But but I used to live two minutes from downtown Anderson, and and we have urban deer like crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we're in the country, but. We do. They're there, and there are enough woods in the city limits of Anderson that it maintains a pretty good population of urban deer. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I saw 14 at our house going up the street and then back to our house one night. That's why When we lived at Green Acres. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I love watching deer. It was cool. I love hunting deer. I know. I love a lot of things. I sure do. Which means we ought to talk about love today. <laughs> As if they didn't already know. They're just waiting it out. <laughs> I tell you, you know, what's so funny is, you know, the funniest part about this, and folks, we're about to get started, is for th- two years, three years, how long have we done this now? Something. December was three years? I think it's been three. Anyway, as, as long as we've done this, it has never crossed our mind one time. Like they already know that they already know because it, it's titled on the when you pull it up. I feel like it's been more of like a personal game for me to just like slip a pun in, and you like haven't noticed yet because it's what it's we challenge. do. Your your grandfather did it, does it. I do it. You do it. The baby that you're having, the son you'll have. Hopefully, he'll do it. Does everybody know that you're you're expecting you and Elizabeth? Have we talked Probably about those that? Probably who, those who already listen to the podcast. I don't remember if we talked about it last time, but yeah, you're going to be a dad. Crazy. And you're going to give me grandson number four. Oh, yeah. This is going to be awesome. We painted the, the baby room, the nursery. 
Oh, yeah. That was an experience. Yes. We had to put white paint on blue walls. That was miserable. Yeah. I helped you trim out, and then I had to cut out, and then you had to go back and... I I know why you left. You left because it was 77 in my house, and you're about to die. That's true, because your your air conditioning (laughs) unit wasn't working. I was. I was sweating profusely. (laughs) You probably think I'm I'm going to pass out if I stay here. Well, that, and I do have have a bum knee. I'm recovering from meniscus surgery, which was seven weeks ago as of this recording. Dehydration. Yeah, dehydration. <laughs> About to pass out. We did the last two episodes. We let the, the folks know that we were going to do the, the series, the trinity of virtues. attributes or virtues, which is faith, hope, and love. That's right. And so we did hope and we did faith. And now today, we're going to finish that trinity up with love. That's right. So now we have to ask uh, the simple 30-second definition. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. You know what I'm talking about? If your mom was here, right, she'd be going, on. what's love got to do with it? <laughs> she loves to do her Tina Turner impersonation right now. I hope she listens to this episode just to know that I gave her a shout out. You what know, is love? Well, you know, love has been, when we... When I was studying for this, preparing for this, I thought, this is going to be the hardest thing we've ever done. Mm -hmm. We need to just bypass it. Because for millennia, wise men have been and women have been trying to come up with a definition for love. Mm -hmm. And how do you do it? So I'm going to give it a stab with a couple things. Uh, I I read this, and I adjusted a little bit in a book, a theology book. But love is unselfish, loyal, and benevolent intention and action and commitment towards another person toward another person that's good so that's kind of the official i i came up with one that's kind of a little short and different love is the heart and the will reaching out to another person you like that i like that that's pretty good at it my like oh yeah sorry the heart and the will reaching out to another person my like functional go-to definition is i think St. Thomas Aquinas, who says love is to want the highest good for someone else. It's to want the highest good. Yeah, I like that because it's sort of all-encompassing. Yeah, it's got it's got it all. Yeah. Anyways. That's now, pretty good. Today we're asking what is biblical love. Now, I know we're doing the Faith, Hope, Love series, um, but we're going to include the whole Bible. Like, I, I guess what I'm saying, we're not just going to look at Paul, though we are. We're going to look at Old Testament through the New Testament like we always do and ask this question, what is love? And particularly, we always want to zone in on what is God's love since he is love and is the foundation of our love. And so we want to ask, what is God's love? And then how can we reflect that love into the world? So let's look at the Old Testament. Um, First, let's look at a couple of Old Testament words because I I do think this is important. I don't know Hebrew. I'm going to butcher the pronunciations. I apologize, Dr. Cribb, if you're for some reason, listening to this, uh, my old, my Hebrew teacher. All right. Um, a have is the most frequent verb for love verb for love in the old Testament. And it occurs over 200 times in both it's noun and verb forms. So it refers to a relationship between two people, like a parent, a child, a husband or a wife. Um, it's, it's that relational type of love. And so when we, when we think of that love, in regards to God, we think of the relationship between God and his people. So the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uses the word to describe the relationship between God and Israel. So Deuteronomy 6.5 commands the people to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. And so it is a relational love. It's it's uh, maybe in the New Testament, we think of being the bride of Christ um, that, that, you know, we gave the example of the love between a man and, and a woman, a husband and a wife. It's that relationship love where you love one another. And the nation shows their love for God by following the law. Then the second most prominent one, and this is really, really important, is hesed. Uh, this is the most frequent noun for love in the Bible. The last one was verb. This is the most frequent noun for love in the Old Testament, excuse me. Um, and it occurs over 250 times in the Hebrew Bible. Now, this one doesn't have like a super clear equivalent translation. This is probably the one you've heard the most. The KJV uses loving kindness. Thy which, loving kindness is better than life. Oh, yes. That's my favorite. 
for it, both for its beauty and the fact that they're like, you know what? We'll just shove two words together. We don't even, we'll just, why even make a new word? I mean, loving kindness. Exactly. Everybody would want loving kindness, kindness. where somebody's being kind and nice and, and like you said, extending goodwill to mm-hmm. them with love. Exactly. It's so a great word. And then the newer translations, which I think maybe gets at the, the heart of it a bit more, is something like the ESV uses steadfast love or the LEB uses loyal love. So loyal love refers to group, two people or groups of people who formed a relationship. And then there's an attitude of loyalty in that relationship. There's a commitment to stick it out, a commitment to do what you've said you would do, a, a commitment to, to do what you've promised. So for example, David uses the term uh, as he reminds Jonathan of a previous promise Jonathan has made to him. So he's asking Jonathan to love him by being loyal. Um, it can even refer to acts of mercy or good deeds, as we see in Nehemiah. Um, the minor prophet Hosea indicts the people for their lack of loyal love in Hosea 4.1. This is towards God and towards his people, really. Um, he describes their practices of swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. There is a lack of faithful love. There's a commitment to God. There's a commitment to his people, and they are being faithless rather than faithful. Um, it's also described as a human response to God in Hosea 6.4. So that's uh, the human aspect of said that we should be faithful and loyal to God and our neighbor. But most prominently, said is used of God towards his people, right? So his loyal love, his faithful love, his loving kindness protects and sustains life as we see in the Psalms. It offers protection from their enemies most, 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 most prominently. And if you're listening to this and you're not driving, maybe you want to write this down somewhere. Maybe you want to make a, a mental note somewhere. Um, God's said, his loyal love is the key theme of the book of Ruth in which God's loyal to Ruth and Naomi and provides her a kinsman redeemer. So you will actually find that word there in the book of Ruth and the entire theme of the book of Ruth is God's faithful and loyal love that he is loyal to Ruth. He's loyal to Naomi. He doesn't leave them. He doesn't neglect them. He provides for, he provides a kinsman redeemer, all these things. Um, and it actually kind of expands to a greater picture that it's through Ruth uh, that several people down, we eventually get King David. Um, and, and God remains faithful and loyal to his people Israel to provide for them. Um, his loyal love also stands in contrast to his wrath. So Micah uses the term in describing God relenting from his wrath and offering forgive, forgiveness for sins because of his loyal and steadfast love. So in Exodus 34, 6, we see that God is described as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this little phrase, there's there's more to it, but mentioned in Exodus 34 is mentioned repeatedly again and again and again in the scriptures to describe who God is. Um, and and it's really a key way of viewing God. All right, so let me add some things here. Some of you may be listening and you're thinking like, those scriptures sound familiar, but you're using love. Well, the reason why is Evan is quoting some scriptures, but if you would read, and he's using, you usually use what version? ESV? I, I was using, I, I used, I rely a lot on the um, the Lexham Bible Dictionary. I used whatever they used okay. because they'd already translated it for the sake of the Hebrew word. So, so before we get into the New Testament and the Greek, the words that were a little more you know, I think probably more familiar with and take us into what we're going to talk about today. This is really important because has said um, means loyal love, loving, but it also means it, you've already touched it. It means faithfulness. Yeah. So there are times when has said, depending on the context is translated as faithfulness, mm-hmm. which is characteristic of love. And it gets back to that loyalty, mm-hmm. but you know, in marriage, we talk about fidelity and if you're not faithful and you have an affair, then it's infidelity or unfaithfulness, which means you didn't show true covenant love to your spouse when you committed adultery. So when you stay faithful, that's that's love in action. That's, that's right. But it's also the word mercy. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah. So it's a, there are a lot of times like where God is freaking described as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's, it's also abounding in mercy. Mm-hmm. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. And uh, 
again, mercy is an expression of true love. So if I really love you and you mess up and you don't meet my expectations or you don't meet the expectations of our relationship or you, you, you do something you know, where you hurt me or you do something that's sinful and go, go down the list. If I really love you, then I will extend mercy to you. When you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and I, you know, I want to make it, then I can extend mercy. And loving people are merciful people. Loving people are faithful people. Loving people are kind people. And, and so that's what this word mm-hmm. is saying to us. It's saying that God is like that. So when we mess up, God is abundantly merciful. Aren't you glad God's abundantly merciful because all the times we mess up, aren't you glad God is is abundantly faithful to us? If Mm -hmm. if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Mm -hmm. He cannot, he cannot be anything but faithful. That's right. Uh, Aren't we, aren't you glad that God is kind toward us? Mm -hmm. Uh, Benevolent extends goodwill. That's grace. Mm -hmm. So, So you see that in love is wrapped up grace, mercy, faithfulness, loyalty. It's just kindness it's a powerful word. And that's why I would kind of go back and then we can move on here, but just go back to the beginning when I said, this is a, this is, you can't coming up with a 37 second definition. Yeah, yeah, It's too varied. Oh, it's just, it, it really encompasses anything and everything about God and encompasses anything and everything about us and life and character. And I mean, love is, when they say love is the most powerful force in the world, it is. Mm. And love is the most significant thing in the world, it is. Yeah. And not the worldly love, but but the godly love. So I think one of the, th- the ways we see this play out, particularly in the Old Testament, is really through God's promises to Israel. And that God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a nation. Um, kings of nations are going to come from you. Um, you're going to have a seed who's going to bless the nations. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you rest from your enemies, all of these things. He's, he's made a promise. And when God makes a promise, he doesn't fail. And a promise, it was, it was a one-sided promise. Remember, he puts Abram to sleep, and he cuts the covenant, and he goes through. It's a one-sided promise. So what we see is that when God brings his people um, out of Egypt, you know he's fulfilling his promise to Abram, I'm going to bring you into this land. Now, he asked some things of them. If those particular people right then and there are going to reap the covenant benefits, they need to be faithful. They need to obey God. They need to stay from sin. They need to abstain from idolatry and all of those things. But God is still faithful to his promise and his love for Abraham. He's going to bring his people into the nation. So if these people fail, he may have to send them into exile. Babylon may have to come take them. He may have to kick their butts with some armies, but he never abandons Israel. He promises to, every time you repent, I'll restore you back into the land. Which is mercy. And love and kindness. And love and kindness. And then when they were unfaithful, he was faithful. That's his love. That's right. And what he was asking of them is, I want you to love me by being faithful. Yep. Okay. Now, you don't have to be merciful to God because he's not going to do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. But- he says, the expression of your love to me is love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Mm-hmm. Love me by being faithful. Don't worship idols. Don't get involved in syncretism, which is the blending of two different religions. Yep. Just stay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that covenant, covenant is, covenant involves, well, usually a lot of times we talk about covenant love. Yeah. Especially in a marriage. But God's covenant, uh, he loved Abraham. He loved David. He loved Noah. He loved the children of Israel, and he loves us. You know, for God so mm-hmm. loved the world, and that's where we have this covenant. Um, is through. It's not like God's in this contractual relationship with us. It, there's there's a loving element to covenant. Would you agree? I would. I would certainly agree. And I think, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, but where where it even gets into that idea of love as a choice, like God is not a man. He he doesn't have human emotions. He he's not swayed by the wind. You know, he he can't. He doesn't change. So when we say love, it's God doesn't have warm fuzzies toward Abram, who was just a pagan, or towards David, who you know killed a dude, raped his wife. Like he, it's not warm fuzzies. It 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 is described as that commitment. It's love you. It's I love you because I choose to love you, and I'll never stop. And that's otherworldly. <laughs> yeah, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Yeah, you're right. 
So we we see uh, we see this we see it especially connected with his covenantal promises like we talked about God is faithful and that is his love. So <clears throat> now let's go into the New Testament. You're gonna have to help me out with this because I, I just included this just for us simply to have the conversation. I don't know Greek. I I do not know Greek. Was not very good at it uh, at all. As I was doing my reading, one of the Greek scholars was like, "Hey, you've always heard that the word." Agape and phileo, the two Greek words for love, have different meanings. But then they're gone, maybe not. Sometimes the Bible uses them interchangeably. And so I just want to ask you in your study, you've probably looked into this a bit more than I have. Do we see a significant difference between the two Greek words for love, agape and phileo? So my understanding is agape was a word that was hardly used in Greek culture it was a word that existed, but it was not, you don't read it. They gotcha. don't find it in manuscripts. It is a it is a Bible New Testament word that was embraced and pulled into Christianity. Um, so phileo or philio, whichever it is, philio, uh, is, uh, was the more common word. Mm-hmm. So there are three words for love in the Greek language. There's eros, which is erotic or sexual love. That's not in the Bible. There is a filio, which is tender affection, which is in the Bible. And then there's this <clears throat> agapeo love, <clears throat> sometimes called agape, which is unconditional love. It's the unconditional love of God. It's where you reach the highest, um, you seek the highest good for the person that you love. Um, it's a sacrificing for the good of another. Mm-hmm. So that that's how people know. Yes, the reality is there are scriptures, especially in John. John would use... Filio or phileo, I got to figure out how to pronounce yeah, that I word. Have no idea. Um, t- he would use that to describe the love between God the Father and God the Son. Hmm. And and but again, I, I would question the theologian is, but is there a sacrificial love? Well, I don't think that would describe the relationship of the Godhead. I would see more of the tender affection between family members. It's it, it, that was used um, uh, between a family member or a friend. So filio and filio, most people know this, but some of you may have never heard this. If you've ever heard the, this, the, the, obviously the city Philadelphia mm-hmm. is called the city of brotherly love. If you've never heard that, that's that's been that's been said for years yeah. and that's the city of brotherly love if you ever go there i don't know if you're gonna feel a lot of brotherly love uh, <laughs> i've been there before there's, of, there's, some, there's some crime goals on big city philadelphia but um rocky was there but it's true uh, i ran up the steps you ran up the steps yeah but uh but that's because phila philadelphia yeah. delphia is, is love and phila is i mean delphia is brother and and philly is love love yeah. so that's where that if you just a little trivia there but yeah it, it is but that stated beside the fact that they say the two are used clearly clearly it is utilized by the new testament writers that is not that word is not used in hardly in greek at all in any other greek books or greek manuscripts or whatever mm-hmm. so it is a strong word that i don't even know the greek culture could do anything with it because you need. It's like you have to have God to have this word make sense. Yeah, so it's like a God word, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. And I think just think about you. You know, you maybe could use this agape to describe the relationship between the Father and the Son. Not that the Son has to sacrifice to cover any sins of the Father, but maybe out of love for the Father, He sacrifices. How, how can for you seek his, the his highest? People. How can you seek the highest good for somebody that already has? <laughs> I see what you're saying. If you take it in that, like, yeah, and that most, or, or Jesus wants to do everything to please the Father, to honor the Father, if that makes sense. But you can't take away the good from God. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Anyways, that was our little Greek word session. So agape is um, is a, a unique word to the New Testament, and uh, and like you said, describes that sacrificial love. Um, they, they had mentioned one of the most popular places is um, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he's speaking to the apostle Peter, Peter. and he's like, Peter, do you love me? Yep. And he asked him, what, two times with phileo and the third time with agape? Yep. And then Peter applies with, or, or replies with phileo all three times or whatever, and he's trying to maybe make a point there. Yeah, and I mean, there are, that's one of those, 
that's one of those passages you have to sort of sort through that. And you brought mm-hmm. that up. I mean, it's like, do you love me with a brotherly love? Do you love me like a family? Do you love me? And then, you know, twice. And Peter's like, yes, Lord, yes. And then it's like Jesus put the hammer on him and said, but do you love me with this? Which would have been a strong word to Peter. Mm-hmm. Because again, that was a word that wasn't used much. And we said, do you love me with the kind of love that you would You'd die, for, die yeah. for me and sacrifice everything for me and give everything? And that just, it, and if you'll notice, the Bible says that when he said that, it, I'm going to use my own terms here. It tore Peter up. It tore Peter out of his frame. Lord, you know I love you. I mean, it that got him. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it tore him up. Because it, the Lord was questioning that, would you love me to the point? Because he had denied him. So he's yeah. basically saying, are you going to deny me again? But or, I am very embarrassed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there was restoration. because There was a challenge. I mean, we like to say, that's when the Lord restored Peter. And he did. But the Lord kind of worked him over. Yeah, he worked yeah, he him did. over real good. Yeah. You know? I mean, anytime you say, do you love me? Mm-hmm. I mean, people go, oh, I mean, that puts me on... That puts me on the defense, mm-hmm. and so Peter's on the defense, and uh, and and he's having to prove his point. And Jesus yeah. is like, I want to know whether or not you know, because you blew it the first time. I give you three chance, three times you 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 denied me. I'm giving you three chances here to to make it up. Yeah, and uh, and Peter did, mm-hmm. and then the Lord said, I don't want to just hear it. I want to see your actions. Yeah. So if you want to prove that you love me, feed my sheep, feed mm-hmm. my lambs. You know, I'm going to heaven, but how you can show me you love me is feed my body. And and so that's a pretty powerful moment. Yeah, it is. That's good. Well, let's look at um, just love in general in, in the New Testament. Let's start with the synoptic gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. So the gospels show Jesus's unique relationship to the Father with love, as when the Father calls Jesus his beloved Son at his baptism. And so we, we see this very unique revelation of the Son of God, and it is one of complete and total love between the Father and the Son um, that the Son has come to do all the Father wants him to do. Um, Jesus interprets the law through his double commandment to love God and to love his neighbor. So he states the greatest commandment is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. Then he quotes Leviticus nineteen eighteen, stating, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, our neighbor's everyone. And so Jesus comes and he is basically stating that the entire law, uh, the entire uh, um, a mode of Christian living is one that's based in love, which I think is really, really important that the law is a way of loving God and other people. That, it's not even a way. If that's what it's commanding you to do. So our entire being is rested on this love. I think that's pretty impactful. Uh, it is, and... You know, somebody said that there were like 600 and something laws in the Old Testament, and then God boiled it down to 10. Yeah. And then to help us, can't remember those, you know, you had 10 fingers, and he boiled it down to your two hands, your two thumbs, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors, mm-hmm. you love yourself. But here's the secret about that, and this, we need to say this, we can't go without saying this. If you want to, if you want to keep the commandments relative to God, and if you want to keep the commandments relative to people, then God says, just love, love me and you'll do it. Love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's, those are the motives behind it. So if you'll love me, then you'll do these things. So if you love me, you, you won't use my name in vain. If you love me, you won't put any other gods before me. If you love me, you won't make any idols. If you love me, you'll remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If you, if you, if you love your mom and dad, you'll honor your father and your mother. Mm-hmm. If you love people, you won't steal from them. You won't commit uh, adultery, you won't lie, you won't bear fault with. Fault. See what I'm saying? It's just yeah. that's that's the principle behind the precepts. That's because right. Behind every behind every precept is a principle. Behind every principle is the is the person of God. The character. Every precept principle flows out of the nature of God. So um, that that's what we're learning here is that you know do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you you got to love people. Yeah. To, to do that. And so that, that again, that principle of love is so strong that it, it really, it's, it is the source of positive relationships in every dimension. Yeah. Whether, whether your family, church, work, 
society, there has to be some element of love. And it can be, you know, the love of a friend, the filial love, or it can be the agape love. But there has to be love. Um, you know, somebody said love makes the world go round. I mean, they, they're, 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 they're kind of right. Mm-hmm. Because the opposite is hate. And hate will destroy and love will, will build and edify. That's good. It, it makes me think, I think John in First John almost sort of combines all three together. I, I might be getting the quote wrong, but uh, essentially says something like, um, you know, to, to love God is to believe on his son, Jesus Christ, and to do his commandments. And then elsewhere, to do his commandments is to love God. I mean, if you read the whole book, he intertwines to, you know, to, to do God's commandments is to love, and to love is to do his commandments. And what are his commandments? It's to love and to believe on Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they're all kind of all thrown in there and mixed together. So First John <clears throat> 4 or 5 says, don't love in word or in tongue or speech, but mm-hmm. in deed and in truth or yeah. in action and truth. So love, love is an action. Love is a verb. And, um, and, and I think that's so significant is that you don't just tell me you love me. You, you have to show me you love mm-hmm. me. Authentic love is, is, is activated love. Yeah. It's, it's active love. It's a working, uh, process where, there's revelation. And I think that gets back to um, what John is saying. And then, you know, John really does emphasize it and we should emphasize it is that don't tell me you're, you're saved. Don't tell me you love Jesus. I love God. I love God. You know, well, how are you living? Because if you love God, then you live right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just putting it simple. And that's what Jesus says. Keep my commandments. So don't tell me you love me. But show me you love me by doing what I tell you to do, and and it's take a child who um, has a healthy fear of his parents, the healthy fear, a healthy fear of getting spanked if he does wrong, but also has this far. This outweighs that the far greater feeling of love for their mom, love for their dad, their parent, knows the parent loves them. And and that child is told to do something and does it because they love their parent. And you can do it because you have a fear of getting punished. And a little bit of that is good. Mm-hmm. And we have that with God the Father. But we also have this love. And so God doesn't want you obeying him because you're afraid, I'm going to get whooped. You know, then if it I don't becomes do it. just pure obligation. Exactly. He wants us to do the right things mm-hmm. because we love him and because he means the world to us. And what matters to him matters to us. And mm-hmm. what he values, I value. Mm-hmm. And I value it to the point that I'll do this even if it hurts me, even if it costs me, even if it means I'm going to be persecuted, even if it means people are going to question my motives or make fun of me or I'll lose my job or I don't get a promotion, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do the right thing because I love the Father, and if this is what he tells me to do, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah, don't you – I'm going to ask our listeners, don't, wouldn't you rather serve God because you love him than just because you have to, like you said, out of obligation? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to do anything. I mean, that's work. I don't want to have a working relationship with God. I want to have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I want to have a loving relationship with him. And so – um, when you do the right thing, do it because you love him. And how, do you, how do you even gain that love? Well, it's to know that the Father sent the Son by the Spirit to die for your sins, to rise up again, and that you may have new life, forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with him. To be able to love God is to know I've been reconciled with him all through his own effort and his own work oh, and none it, of mine. It's a reaction to his love. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I have to conjure up love or manufacture love. Yeah. And say, well, I got to try to love God today and do what's right. No, he loves me so much. He He did so much for me. He started with sending his son. You know, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for mm-hmm. us. He died for me. He saved me from my sins. He put his spirit inside of me. He adopted me as his child. He wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's given me eternal life. Um, I've been redeemed from sin. I've been reconciled to God. I'm no longer an enemy. I've been justified. Uh, his righteousness has been reckoned to my account. My sins have not been imputed against me. 
I've been born again and regenerated. I have a new nature. I've put off the old man. I'm being made new the attitude of my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm putting on the new man, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I have the favor of God every day. I have favor with man. I walk under the, the outpouring of his grace and mercy in my life. It sounds like I'm preaching now. <laughs> but what I'm doing is I'm just throwing all these, God is so good to us. Yeah. And then you want to turn around and do the wrong thing and not do what he tells you to do. I'll tell you what that is. That's in ingratitude. Yeah. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to go so far as to say, cause I really believe this. I believe that God is so good to us. And then you turn around and you, you, you know, you want to do the wrong thing. Not only is doing the wrong thing, sin, but your attitude sin, mm-hmm. you got a double sin. You, first of all, you're doing the wrong thing. You're doing the opposite of what God told you. So you got that sin going on, but then you got this ingratitude that's going on is it's like a, it's like, I don't care what you did for me. I don't care. I don't care who you are, what you did for me. It's, I think there's a double sin there. Yeah. When, if you love God, uh, it's because, you know, we love him because he first loved us. The Bible says, so yeah, I think it's a response. I think it's, it's a work of God in me and it's a response to what God is done for me. Reminds me, John, once again, first John says, perfect love cast out all fear. And our fear of judgment, our fear of going to hell, our fear of being condemned By the way, is gone. And I appreciate you interpreting that correctly. So many people misquote that. <clears throat> yeah. And they misuse that scripture. But that's what that scripture means. It has nothing to do with like perfect love means I don't get scared to get on this roller coaster or right. whatever. Right. It's the I'm, tower of terror. <laughs> yeah. Perfect love casts out Disney. the fear of, of judgment or separation from God. But to receive his love means to know with full confidence I'm reconciled to him. Yeah. So uh, that's really good. Uh, to wrap up, talking about the synoptics, Jesus calls us to love our enemies on in the Sermon on the Mount. So to be even more specific, when Jesus says to love people, to love our neighbor, he means everyone, not just the people I don't like, but the people who really don't like me. And that's what's kind of crazy, which once again is rooted in who God is that, um, you know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we were by nature children of wrath, that we were enemies of God. And yet he sent his son to die for us, knowing many would still reject him. It's amazing what sticks in your head years ago, Evan. I'm talking about, I might have been a teenager or a young man, um, but I just stuck in my head. I, I guess because I'd never heard it before, and it just lodged. But Dr. Charles Kahn was the general overseer of the Church of God, and uh, he was preaching, and he said this statement. He said, God has asked me to love people I don't even like. Mm-hmm. I had never heard anybody say that. And I'm thinking, oh, man, he has. He's asked me to love people, but God's taken it even further. He's asked me to love people that I could hate. Yeah. That I could totally detest and despise who who hate me or despise me or who are, who are adversarial towards me and, and my enemies, which brings me to something that I want to just address real quick and you touched on it earlier. I made my my notes when we were talking about filial love and agapeo love. That filial love is tender affection. Agape love is the unconditional love. Uh, I wrote down, and I wish I, I wish I could say this was original, but I read this and I wrote it down because because the love is a choice thing. We're talking about mm-hmm. this person said filial love is love by chance, but agape love is love by choice. That's good. That's pretty good. Isn't That's it? really good. So that that filial love, that relationship that a friend you can have with a friend or with a that's love by chance. Uh, but agapeo love, that's that's love I choose. And so you choose to love your enemies. You choose to pray for them. You choose to do good for those to, to those who treat you bad. It's a mm-hmm. choice. So I, I want to talk about that. Love is a choice because I don't do that naturally. I don't do good things to my enemies naturally. I have to choose to do this. It's an act of my will. So it does not need a chemistry. It doesn't need an affinity. It doesn't need feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, and by the way, uh, through through the years of ministry, thirty five years of ministry, uh, I have run into every once in a while that man or woman who says, "I don't love my husband anymore," and uh, and and I'm 
I'm getting a divorce and I'm leaving. I had a lady that did that with a man in our church. And she stood actually in the altar of our church and said to me, I don't love my husband anymore. And I looked at her and I said, that's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> I did. I said, that's a bunch of baloney. And, and, uh, and, and, um, she needed to be talked to. Like I wasn't being mean, but she she had just she was she was doing the wrong thing. She was totally in the wrong. Yeah. She and I said, love is a choice. And she just looked at me. I said, if the Bible says that I have to love my enemies, that's a choice. Yep. So if I have to choose to love somebody that I don't even like, I said, I don't care what kind of problems you have. I said, you choose to love your husband. It's not a feeling. You know, she was going to go by her feeling. We have fallen out of love. You know I mean? You, you love people and you're in love. People like to, to divide the two. Uh, I think you're going to have a hard time parsing that because love is a choice. Always. And, and always. And, and so I've seen people to use that. It's a bunch of crock. Just they're going to get out of their marriage because what it is, they found somebody else or they yeah. want to be independent or whatever. And it, you know, outside of, a, of adultery or you know extreme situations, just say, "Well, we're I just don't love them anymore." Okay, well, that's maybe because you're not trying. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's all been one sided. Now, again, I'm not brushing with a broad stroke here. You got to take every marriage, yeah, individual. I'm just talking about where I have seen where people yep. have been using it to get out of a marriage. They're mm-hmm. not even trying. You know, they need to. And meanwhile, the other person is dying because they want they love that person. They want them to. Yeah, they want their marriage to work. They don't understand what's going on. So, um, yeah, love love is a choice. And this is where I think bridging that gap with with the Old Testament is, um, you know, God's covenant love is, hey, I I literally making a covenant that I will love you no matter what you do, and I'll fulfill my promises. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's, I, you know, you stand in the altar if you use the 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 Anglican whatever, uh, like a lot of people do, then you're making. A statement. I enter into covenant with you, and I'll and I'll fulfill my obligations, whether you or not you ever fulfill yours. What to love and to cherish till death do us part. I mean, yeah. that's the vow that you make. You vow that you'll love them, and and again, uh, every stage of marriage, you go through ups through downs. People do stupid things, make bad decisions. Uh, marriages are strained. H- how do people get through it? How do people make it? You know, thirty five, forty, forty five, fifty years is faithfulness, mercy. You have to show each other a lot of mercy, kindness. a lot of grace, loving kindness. But, but again, it's also, it, you choose, you know, you choose to love that person because some days we're easier to love than others, mm-hmm. you know, and you just, you have to choose to love them and, um, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's, that's the power of love. Sounds like a Huey Lewis in the news sound, song. Um, but, but the power of the yeah. love is, is that, it can overcome whatever else is there because it's not dependent on anything external. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's my choice. Is you know, in spite of, despite X, Y, Z, I'm choosing to love you anyway. That's good. Let's uh, let's look at love in the Gospel of John. John is often talked about as the apostle of love. That this is kind of his thing. So obviously we've got John 3.16, most famous Bible verse in the world, for God so loved the world. I think we've kind of covered that previously, but it's in there. But <clears throat> Jesus gives us a strong co- uh, concept of love in his farewell discourse found in um, chapter chapters 13 through 17. So Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment, brand new commandment they've never heard of. And it's this, love one another just as I have loved you, or just as Jesus has loved them. And so it's so funny, when, when you go read First John, same John writing, he says, I, I give you a new commandment. He says, but I don't give you a new commandment. It's the commandment you've already had. And uh, what it is, is Jesus takes that, that Old Testament commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, and he ups, he ups the ante. Now I'm no longer going to love the neighbor with the love I have for myself you need to love the neighbor with the love I have for you. Oh, that's good. And so it's it's both a new and an old commandment at the same time. And he says it's this love, this is how disciples are going to know one another. This is how Christians are going to know one another. And really, this is how the world is going to recognize who true followers of Jesus are. Do I love with the love Christ has? Yeah, that's the mark of a true disciple is I love, disciple. I love other people. Yep. Which isn't great in a church. Like, we have pretty... Pretty large church. Um, we've got people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. young, old, male, female, rich, poor, covers the 
the the entire spectrum of the socioeconomic spectrum uh, graph. It's uh, all kinds of ethnicities mm-hmm. in our church. And uh, we we got Yankees. We even got Yankees. Got Yankees. We got Yankees in our in our <laughs> Southern church, and we just love us. We love each other like one big family. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that about the church. You love it. I do. I love it. <laughs> I love that about. I love that about the love is that all those differences are swept aside. Yeah. Uh, and we joke and we kid each other. And I got a guy that I go fishing with and he still calls crappies crappies. And down South, we call them crappies, but you know, all over America, they call that fish a crappie. That guy's lame. Anyways. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and so I rag on him and I said, look, if you're going to live down here, you got to learn how to call them crappies. We pick on each other, but we don't let any of our differences um, create that dissension Rather, we love each other beyond those. Yeah. I just think that's powerful. That's that's what Jesus is talking about, where people can look at us, people who come to our church and they see how we love each other and like, man, I look. Can I be part of this? Yeah, you know, I the, you you guys got it. This this is the real thing. This yep. is the real. That's the mark of true discipleship. That's good. <clears throat> the believer enters into a relationship with the Father through the Son, and just as the Father loves the Son. The son loves those who abide in Jesus' command. So John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. And you have to ask, okay, how do we remain in your love? John 15, 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so now that we are in Christ, as Paul says, as we've put Christ on, that we now, too, are sons and daughters of God. Our relationship with the Father begins to reflect the relationship Christ has with the Father, which is to abide in his love, to know how much he loves me, and then to respond in that love is to obey his commands, that he loves me so much he'd do anything for me, and in response, I love him so much, I'll do whatever he asked. So we see this um, where where if you look at the Trinity, the the Father is always begotting or sending, right? So the Son is the only begotten Son, and then the Holy Spirit is always sent <clears throat> from the Father and the Son. He's always sending. And so the Son is the one who is sent into the world by the Father to do the Father's will, to die on the cross, to rise again. So there's this unique relationship where the Father sends and the Son goes. And in the same way, we are supposed to respond to the Father with that kind of love. Like, Lord, I love you so much. Wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And just as Christ does it, not begrudgingly, not like, oh, I don't feel like doing this today, but in, in a perfect will, because they're the same God, we too should have that same um, attitude about us, that we don't begrudgingly go, all right, whatever, God, but we love him and we want to do it yeah, cause, every day. because Jesus got... They were, you know, he had some adversarial people in a big crowd one day, and he said, "Yeah, he said I do the will of my father." He said, "I always do it, you know, put yeah. it, I always do it my father wants." Yep, and it's because he loves. It. He said, "You always do what your father wants, and your father's the devil." <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told him. That made, yeah. him. that made him mad. That made him real. Which is funny because he says those who remain outside of of this relationship, they uh, love the world and they hate the father. And they, and they hate the son. Yep. So you can, you can only really be in two camps. Either your father's God or it's Satan. Either you love God or you love the world. Exactly. <laughs> you know, love not the world, any of the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father's not in him. That's right. Uh, can I throw one more thing <laughs> yeah, in here go before we it. go? Um, this came to me. John, you talked about John 13 through 17 when Jesus, that was his final discourse. That's mm-hmm. um, Right at the beginning of John is the story of the feet washing. And Jesus, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Mm. And I think the NIV says it that way, um, which probably is the best translation for that. Uh, the old NIV, by the way, not the new one. Don't read the new one. The new NIV should be thrown in the trash. They've ruined it. They've. I know people say, well, you just said throw the Bible in the trash. Yeah, it's not the Bible because they've totally translated the newest NIVs wrong. It's not the Bible. I'm that strong. Throw it in the trash. The old NIV, though, the original one, that's still a good 1984. Bible. The 1984 is a good one. But um, I just had to throw that in there. So keep people reading corrupted Bibles. But uh, it said he now showed them the full extent of their love. And so I think service um, 
it, because to me, and I just I preached on feet washing a few months ago and used it evangelistically. There are two main themes in feet washing. It's um, it's service, but the other theme there is, is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because it, there really is a type of Jesus dying on the cross, laid washing, aside his yeah. towel, picked it back up. He laid down his life. He picked it back up. The washing, right, cleansing, and you're clean. He, he was he who was clean. You know, has been washed as clean. But um, but it, I think that there are two more things there that are seen in love. So he showed them the full extent of his love. What did he show them? That their service. So when we love somebody, we serve them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is we forgive them. So again, see how expansive this co- this topic is. Is yeah. if I really love you, I'll forgive you. Yeah, you ever yeah. see somebody say, "I just can't forgive you," you know? And it, well, that's that relationship's dead. You yeah, just killed you're it. Done, yeah. You're done. It, stick a fork in it. You just killed it. And if and in a marriage, you know they do, you don't know what they did. Well, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter if you can you forgive them. I mean, what have you done to God? You know, you can mm-hmm. forgive. You know, if it's he's well, they committed adultery. But I mean, well, then that's when that. That's got consequences. So your marriage may be over. Yeah, forgiveness you, doesn't deny consequences. No, no, but you may still have to forgive them. Yeah. You still have to forgive them. You know, you got to. So, so how can I do that? God enables us. I've seen people forgive the most abusive people. I've seen adults who were uh, physically abused, probably sexually abused as children by stepdads that were scarred. And I've watched them it was a painful process, but I've watched them forgive that person. And Evan, it was like a dam broke and it was a release because there was so much pent up bitterness and all that inside mm-hmm. of them was killing them. And it was forgiveness that did it. And sometimes we have to forgive, not because so much we love the person, but just because we love Jesus. Patrick, our intern preached like not last night what he did, but the last Wednesday. And he played a video of a, a mother who's confronting her son's killer Someone's like a teenager, and this guy was probably a couple years older and just shot him dead in the street. And uh, she stood up in court and just said, like, I want you to know I forgive you and I pray for you because I know there's a mom out there and you're her son. And uh, and wow. she has to go through this too, and and I want you to know, like, I forgive you. And just looked into the face and did that. You're like, that's powerful. How? how? You know? Oh, man. See, that's grace. Yeah. That's mercy. That's, wow. And again, Somehow that there's got to be some love, some affection, mm-hmm. some that mother could move beyond her own pain. That's that's man, that's powerful, crazy. Yeah. Well, let's end it talking about Paul's writings. So Paul inspired the whole thing, talking about faith, hope, and love, and uh, and let's end it with that. So in First Corinthians thirteen, verse thirteen, he says, "Now these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love." The greatest of these is love. All right, why is that? So I would say that the greatest of these is love um, because when Christ comes back, faith will no longer exist. We won't need faith. We'll look Christ in the face. He's right there in front of us. We behold our Savior. Hope will no longer exist. There's nothing left to hope for. We've been given our reward. We've been given our salvation. But we'll, what will remain is love for God and for our neighbor in a completed sense, and we, that will remain forever. We never stop loving. So we that's never good. stop loving. Yeah. So the promises that we hope for will all be fulfilled, mm-hmm. which means that we don't have to trust and have confidence in those things. Mm-hmm. Of course, the context of First Corinthians thirteen two were the gifts. Yeah, that's correct. And I think you know you, you you operate in faith for the gifts, and then there's an element of hope that the gift will be extended to someone and they'll benefit from it. But then Paul said. What good is that if you don't love the person that you're operating in that gift yeah. with? You know, you have to, to to love them or they don't see God. They don't yeah. experience God. Do you want to just read? That's a really short chapter. Paul gives us like a pretty re- – he, he gives us a really good description of what love is if you just want to read that chapter. Well, well yeah, because what First Corinthians 13 does, um, it, it – it defines love by listing its attributes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I love that because there's an angelic tongue. Mm-hmm. I never think about that. Uh, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, but have not love. So he said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, 
and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And here are the attributes. Mm -hmm. Love suffers long and is kind, puts up with people. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up or exalted. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. Uh, It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And I love that, um, by the way, um, it it thinks no evil. I think it's um, keeps no record of wrong. Yeah. I yeah. love that translation. Um, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So wow. I think love kind of consumes yeah, yeah, encapsulates faith and hope yeah love never fails but whether there are prophecies they will fail whether there are tongues they will cease whether there's knowledge it will vanish away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away when i was a child i spoke as a child understood as a child i thought as a child but when i became a man i put away childish things hmm. for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Wow. That's fantastic. That's worth just reading. Yeah. What a great, (laughs) powerful chapter filled with so much truth. I think we could spend an hour just walking through that verse by verse. I think you pointed out rightly that faith and hope are encapsulated in love. I think you point out um, at, at the beginning, and you know, he lists off all these good works. But if if you've got if you if you can move mountains, if you got extraordinary faith, if you can heal people and raise the dead, if you give all of your money, if you die for somebody, but it's all a show, it's all selfishly motivated, it's all to be self righteous. If it's not motivated by love, he says you have nothing. John Maxwell spent years saying this statement. It's been said time and time again, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's speaking or preaching or doing any kind of ministry or just blessing somebody or helping somebody, you want to have a motive, Mm -hmm. a compulsion of love so that they feel the love. It's not enough just to do something, give them something, bless them something. Are you doing it because you feel obligated? Are you just doing it out of pity? Why? I'm doing it because I love you and I care about you. When God says, I I don't desire sacrifice, I desire mercy, it's the same principle. Who who cares if you have a a vain, empty religious observance or gift or whatever, if it's not motivated by an actual love for God and people, it's useless. Exactly. Um, So connected to all of this, the the Christian faith is rooted in love, as Paul says in Ephesians, and it works through love, Galatians 5, 6. So to have faith, it has to be rooted in God's love for us, and our faith works itself out in love for God and for other people. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, um, for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So our love for others is based on our love for God because he loves us. So basically the love of Christ should compel us to walk in obedience and to love other people. It's the fact that Christ died for all that I should love all people. And then now I live for a specific purpose, not that I live for myself, but I live for the one who died for me and was raised. The source of love is the Holy Spirit. So 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And you mentioned it earlier, love is not dependent on external circumstances because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, as we find in Galatians. So love is something given to me of the Holy Spirit that is who is in me. It's not dependent on anything that's based on that's happening around me. And yeah, so, or, or has to be a feeling. That's right. There can be feeling. But again, it's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's an act of the will. 
and it, and it can have feeling. That's right. And so it's, it's, I love not by drumming it up of myself, but because God has given me that strength through his Holy Spirit. Um, and then finally, we'll end with uh, several motivations for love, and, and then we'll close this one out. Um, Paul calls us readers to imitate Christ and their love for one another, one another. So Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So we're motivated by his love for us. Galatians 5, 13 through 14, for you were called to be free brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. Mm. And so we realize that as Christians, we are not free to sin. We are made free from sin to love and serve one another. And in fact, Paul stirs us on to fulfill the law the best that we can. And he you know, boils it down to the statement, love your neighbor. And the opposite effect is if we choose to hate, we will bite and devour and consume one another through our hatred. Mm-hmm. Hatred is unsustainable. Galatians 5.13 points us that freedom in Christ and then a license to sin. I already said that. Colossians 3.13 through 14 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The perfect bond of unity is love. If you want to stay together in a marriage, if you want to stay together as a church, if you want to stay together as a friendship, the perfect bond of unity is love. It is a commitment, once again, given by God's Spirit that no matter what you do, I'm still here and I'll love you just the same. That's it. That's good. What a great topic. Great topic. Well, look, we hope you enjoyed this series on faith, hope, and love. If you haven't listened to the episodes on faith and hope, go ahead and uh, and give those a listen. Uh, I think that would really help you kind of put everything together. Um, we love you. We really do so much. Uh, give us a rating, like, subscribe, share it with somebody who needs it, and we'll see you back in just a bit.